We live in a time when there's like so much um, crazy political angst that happens in all kinds of different ways. And I think sometimes we think that that's kind of unique to where we are in the age and we've seen it get worse or whatever. But I'm reminded when we get a passage like we have today from the gospel that like politics and power have always had weird stuff going on. And today we're going to get this trick question that Jesus gets. And what I'd like to do in today's uh, our time is to go back to that passage and look at some layers of it and then ultimately come back with some things I think we'll be able to talk about and think about at lunch today. Um, that's kind of the goal of what we're headed with this. And when we start looking at this passage, um, I'd first like to start by just giving you some context when you hear that passage, like what's going on and where are we in this whole, how everything is playing out. And um, you got to remember that this is all taking place in Jesus's last week of life, um, you know, in his, in his ministry before the cross. Um, it's obviously a time when there's going to be a lot of vexation. He's you know, betrayed and arrested and tortured and uh, crucified. But also, the course of the, the week, it's a really hard week. I mean, there's a lot going on, and it's a lot of difficult things that are, that are happening. I mean, you think about, uh, with Matthew's chronology, uh, what we're talking about today is on Tuesday, but on Monday, he triumphantly enters Jerusalem. People are doing the hosannas and doing all the things to welcome him as royalty. And then the next day, he's kind of committed going into um, dealing with the abuses around the temple and doing those kinds of things. And we get, it's a very long and a very hard and a very difficult day as to what he has going on. And, I, and just stop to think about what's going on in this one day, on this Tuesday, of what we now would call Holy Week. But you think about how he goes to Jerusalem where he's going to be confronted, but he's also there to do a bunch of pronouncements that are going um, to take place. And he does these with... Uh, you know, he starts with cursing the fig, the fig tree, receiving questions about his authority. He's going to tell three parables to the people who are all smug in their faith, telling them don't be so smug about it. He's going to talk about the place of the resurrection of people. He gets the question about the greatest commandment. He's going to get questions about the nature of the Messiah. And then he's going to go and do this long discourse that we get in Matthew 23, which has all these topics. Again, this is just all in this one day where he's going to denounce the religious leaders. He laments uh, what's going to happen to Jerusalem. He's going to foretell the destruction of the temple. He's telling his disciples, here's how you're going to know when things are getting near the end of time. He's going to tell three more parables, and then he's going to finally get into talking about the final judgment. I was like, that is a big, long, hard day. And in the middle of all that, the one thing I went by is this question that we get in the middle of all this, this question about taxes. But that's the kind of the context of where this is taking place, this whole thing that's going on. The other bit of context to, to be aware of, to go back to the weird political things, are the two parties that are coming to him, right? So we have the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they are... Um, I mean, it's, I'm going to simplify a little bit how I say some of this, but there are two groups that would never be together. But apparently the one thing they have in common is their dislike of Jesus. The Pharisees we know, that's the one we're always, you know, they're, they're the folks that we always read about that are so ultra-focused on the Mosaic Code and living out all the aspects of what the law teaches that way. They are absolutely against Roman occupation. And the Herodians are the other way. I mean, they're, they're following Herod Antipas. They are um, clearly going to make compromises on, the, on how they live out their, the Mosaic Code 
in view of what's taking place, and they're in favor, or they're going along with and supporting the Roman occupation. So they're very, very, very different groups, but those are the two groups that are coming together to ask this trick question. And so that's where we, we enter into this whole thing. And they start this question by giving him a bunch of false flattery. And then they come right, right to this question. And I'm going to read it again. This time is from the message translation and how Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. But he says, that's when the Pharisees plotted a way to trap him into saying something damaging. They sent their disciples with a few of Herod's followers mixed in to ask, teacher, we know you have integrity, you teach the way of God accurately, are indifferent to popular opinion, and don't pander to your students. So tell us honestly, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And uh, this would have been a topic at the time that everybody's talking about in the Middle East, like what to do with this kind of thing. And, and to make sure you get the, the picture, you know, this is your reward for having this foreign power come and um, defeat your country, take over your country, occupy your country, and now you get to pay some taxes, you know. And I know in Texas we'd be saying, you know, come and take it. We're gonna, <laughs> that's never going to happen here. But that's their situation. They're occupied, and now they're being asked to pay taxes. And then this is the question. And to see the trap in this question, like pause and think about the two options Jesus has in answering this for a minute. If he answers and says, no, don't pay it. Um, that's been tried before. That had been tried. And like when Jesus was a boy, there would have been one of the early revolutionaries, a guy actually named Judas also, who did exactly that. And he led a revolt saying, let's not pay taxes. Let's not do this. And the Roman Empire came and mercilessly um, took care of that upbringing. And they put crucified um, and dying people all over the countryside so everybody could see them hanging on the crosses and left them there. So you would understand clearly paying your taxes not optional and, and so for Jesus if he answers no it's going to come with a big health warning you may end up on a cross pretty fast but on the other hand if Jesus says yeah pay it just like that straight out he is going to run the risk or is going to alienate a whole lot of people all at once because who's going to come and lead this kingdom of God movement where it's all about God's kingdom and all this, and this is what you're going to do. Everybody's thinking if God's going to be the king, surely that means Caesar's not going to be the king. And it's like if we're going to keep paying taxes and this is the way this thing is going to be, why did we leave Galilee? Why did we give him this big entry into Jerusalem? So Jesus has this situation where it's like a Hobson's choice. Like it's both of them are looking really, really bad. That's the trap question. They figure they have him either way. And Jesus is able to avoid the snare and, meanwhile, um, give us something great to ponder and think about and talk about at lunch today. So we want to kind of unpack that. And the, his answer to this question starts when he asks for that coin. And they hand him, they're on the temple grounds. He gets handed this coin, and, uh, and he's holding this thing while, while he's going to answer this thing. And this coin is a hated coin. You know, we, we I think it's, Interesting for us to stop for a second and think about what society was like then, um, the time that Jesus is doing all this. Because, um, you know, today we get to where sometimes you'll hear people, you know, sort of suggesting and talking about the conflict we have in our society with Christians. And, um, you know, why is it we have these awkward things and living out our faith? 
and we act like we're supposed to be a Christian nation, which is never you know, program, programmed in that way, but people get wound up on whatever the latest new issue of the day is, thinking we shouldn't have this uncomfortable situation with our faith. We might have to bake a cake for someone. I mean, like whatever it is, like they're living in something radically, radically different, right? They're living in a place that was so thoroughly pagan. And do you think about this coin for a minute? It has Caesar's image on it, along with an inscription around it that says basically the son of God, that he's a deity. And all the other stuff that goes with this Roman Empire, that's what's going on. And I think, and Jesus is holding this thing the whole time he's answering it. And he's not like throwing the thing on the ground, spitting on it, rolling his eyes and saying, I can't believe these people don't believe in God and worship the way we do. He's not doing any of that. He's calmly holding it. And I think maybe there's something in that for us to learn from that in itself, that he's like, kind of get over this. Um, but back to the coin, the reason it was so hated, the Jews weren't even supposed to have images anywhere of people. And here's the image of Caesar on the coin, and then, of course, this inscription that's around it. And I imagine Jesus is holding this thing calmly, but maybe also like a little bit of a dead rat, you know, holding this thing. And it's like, and the fact that he gets this filthy coin from them on the temple grounds is already its own, his own reprimand to them. Like, look, whatever, you're going to ask these trapping questions. You've got this filthy coin that's in your pocket here on the temple grounds. You're already in this. It's got Caesar's image. It's got this inscription. It's filthy, and you've got it. And Jesus at this point is kind of turning the question around now. Well, whose image is on it? And they answer back to him, Caesar's. And he says, well, give Caesar what is Caesar's. What does he mean by that? I think when you look at it, it's, it's such an interesting answer because there's part of it, if you read it, there's part of it that's like, yeah, um, pay him back with his own stuff. It's kind of a part of what it's saying. In that sense, okay, that can kind of sound a little bit revolutionary. But on the other hand, he's holding the, holding the coin in his hand saying, pay it. So he's not really actually, you know, like he's balancing that. So it's like, and I think people are astonished at that. Like he's threaded that thing and answered it. And then Jesus has one more thing that he's going to say, which is crucial in this because he's not done. And he goes on to say, and whatever's God, give to God. And that's the whole passage. And there's so much in there to think and reflect on. I want to just give you um, some of the ways that passage has been interpreted for a minute. Initially, the people that were hearing at that time, they're astonished at it. And they're thinking, wow, he wiggled out of that one. They didn't get him with that trap question. Later, people would interpret this passage in lots of different ways. Some of them, I think, a little bit dubious. Um, one are the people who would say, well, clearly it teaches that God and uh, politics are not supposed to be mixed keep them separate there are others who say well what it means is our faith and our god portion of it, it's a matter of the heart none of that other stuff going on with politics or anything else or where you give matters and there's others that go the other direction completely that say well clearly it says you need to support the nation so you need to go all in doing that so you get all these interpretations i don't think jesus is trying to give a permanent answer like a long-term answer about god and politics i think he's trying to give them a sharp challenge to the people that are getting him with this trick question and he's kind of like get over your trick question let's move on with stuff that matters and and the stuff he's going to do and he's confronting them with have are they the ones who've really compromised are they the ones who've run around snuggling up with the romans and carrying their coins and doing all this while pretending to be 
in this great place with God and all this other stuff. He kind of throws it back on them in that, in that way. And I think for us, too, the people reading this closely, it asks us a question as well. It starts to ask, whose coin is it? Well, who, it's, it's who are we? Who do we belong to? You know, there are lots of ways we may think about that on first blush, you know, that we're... <laughs> I just, I'm one of these people who I think I made the very last tax um, deadline with my extensions, but I think I feel right now that maybe the, the government does own me, or we may think our families own us, or our jobs own us, but if we, ask, if we approach this the same way Jesus did today, and we ask, well, whose image do we have? Whose image do we bear? We know that we bear the image of God. We know that we're made in God's image. We learned that in Genesis 1, and that's the long-term you know, teaching of the church. And, you know, it's something we probably ought to say more of. I've got a good friend of mine who struggles mightily with um, feeling that they don't have any worth or I'm not doing enough to have worth. And I keep wanting to say, well, you're made in God's image. Everybody has inherent worth. We all have inherent worth. It's not what we produce. It doesn't matter what society says, what number gets put on you. Everybody has worth because we're made in God's image and we're God's children. And if we're coins and we're held up and we have God's image, then whose coin is it? Whose life do we have? Everything we have, our whole life, our breath, our talents, our skills, our money, all of it, it's God's. We're made in his image. Give to God what is God's. That's the image that's on us. And the question then becomes, what do we give? We give all. And we're brought back to that place that we're reminded of that really, for us, the Christian position is, we're simply stewards in life. Whatever gifts or talents you were given, you've been given for the glory of God, and they're from Him, and they're His, and we're just stewards while we're here with them. And so we're, we're mindful of that. This passage has so much to, to think about along those lines. I've got to end with one thing, or I'll be in trouble probably. Um, it is stewardship season. <laughs> we are in a capital campaign. I won't say much other than to say that, you know, we, everything is God. So really the question that we come to on all this kind of stuff is just asking the Holy Spirit, what am I to give? It's already yours. What am I to give for this? What am I to give for that? And coming in a prayerful place and have a prayerful conversation with God about what it is that you're going to give. I hope I've left you guys with lots of stuff to talk about at, at lunch today and reflect on. I think it's a really interesting and powerful passage that comes out of this trick question that they give Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you uh, that you love us and you have placed your love in us. Help us to share that love in the world. We thank you, um, God, that you lead us and guide us and our security comes from you. We thank you that you've made us in your image. As badly as sometimes we want to hide that, we're made in your image. May we stand in that place knowing our worth in you. And may we live out a life of ministry from there. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.